Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we do just recognize that all that we have is from you. And we graciously and with faith give to what you're doing in this church and in this community around the Delaware Valley. I pray that you would multiply what we give uh, in your name tonight to impact people, to know that you are good, that you are here, that your kingdom has come, and that you're at work in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Okay, so I've got a sermon planned, and I'm just going to start out with a little bit of a story. So this is a story that uh, is about my day today. So I lead the Healing on the Streets team down, uh, we meet down in Upper Darby at 69th Street, near that Connect My Night shelter, and I want to just tell you the story of what it was like this morning when we went out to pray. I'm telling you this story because it, it has built my faith just to preach tonight. Because of what God did this morning, I feel like saying these words are really the true thing, that God is real, that he is at work, and he answers prayer. So um, we went out, and it was cold. It's March, and it was crazy cold. (laughs) The wind was howling, and we really thought, who is going to stop? Um, You know, pedestrians are on the way to go in or out of the terminal to catch a train or the trolley. And honestly, I was thinking, this is not going to go well. Um, We'd taken a break for a while because quite a few of us were doing a prayer training here um, on Saturdays, and it just felt like, did we make a mistake? Have we lost some momentum? I was feeling discouraged and trying not to tell the team about it. Um, But then right away, after we prayed, as we do, we just say, your kingdom come here in this place. We want to see what you're doing. A guy came up. He had two bikes, and uh, one of the guys on the team said, can I help you? And right away, he was willing to receive prayer, and I knew that it was important Then a little while later, there was a woman with a red hat that we were um, talking with, and one of the guys from the team comes down and says, do we have Bibles? She wants a Bible. So we don't have Bibles. It's not the plan. But uh, there's another church down there that's doing a ministry. So we went over to them, and then they had Bibles. And uh, we gave this woman, Tina, a Bible, and we prayed with her. And then I did this thing that I often do, which is when it's about a half hour before we plan to be done, I uh, talk to God by myself, you know, not out loud, and I say, would you give us three more people, or would you give us five more people? Usually I say something like, God, can you give us eight more people? And honestly, it always works. Um, But today, I said, God, can you give us two more people? Two more people that really have impact because my faith was small. There hadn't been a lot of traffic, a lot of people wanting prayer. Um, And right away, (laughs) Marilyn uh, uh, was bringing someone over to me, and this woman sat down, and she said, I absolutely need prayer. She shared with us how she's struggling with addiction, that um, she was recovering from being high last night, and it was just, she was poured out her heart to us as we were praying for her. You know, she didn't know the vineyard way where you just receive prayer. (laughs) We're praying for her, and she's just echoing everything we say, just like pleading to God. I knew that was our first person. Okay, so then more people start coming. I think we prayed for about five or six people. Um, 
and I, we were just so full of faith. You could just see in the, t- the team that uh, we knew that God was answering our prayer. And the, the other thing is, when it was sort of slow, the team was starting to say, like, gosh, it's cold out. But we've done this enough that we stopped our conversation and just started praying, your kingdom come, Lord, would you draw people? Who do you want to pray? Who do you want us to pray for? The woman um, that came over that we prayed for, the first person, um, she went away and she's like, I have such faith that this mattered today. It was so powerful. So that was the end. We're wrapping up, putting our signs away, and we close by just saying, where did you see God move? Okay, so this guy comes over. His name is Ricardo. He's been watching us every time we're out there. He watches us. He never wants prayer. He chats with me for at least 15 minutes. And he came over, and he's like, you're back, because we hadn't been there for a couple of months, and we had such a good exchange. And as we're closing up, um, we, we were praying, and he came over, and he got in the middle of our prayer circle, the guy who never wants prayer, and he prayed with us. It was, I, I drove home, and I was just like singing crazy loud worship songs in my car. Okay, so that's a good story. And then it gets better. Listen to this. I just decided, no, however long this story takes to tell, I'll just cut out parts of my sermon towards the end because this is clearly, this is preaching. Okay, so I get a text from Marilyn, who's on our team. This is what she says. Hi, Amy. Following up in the morning's HOTS meeting, Caesar lost his hearing aid, so we went back to 69th Street. We found it. On the way there, there was a young man, about 16, who looked so dejected. We went back and prayed with him. His name is Michael. He asked Jesus to be his Lord. Prayer works. And I could end the story there, but now I'm going to tell you the back story. I was so discouraged, thinking, should I just cancel this? Maybe we should stop doing it. Honestly, that's what I'm thinking when I'm driving there. And this, this is how good God is, right? I'm thinking that, and today... Jesus has shown me that he is real. When you pray your kingdom come, it matters. When you say yes, even with a little bit of faith, God moves. So you know what's happening now is you have somebody preaching to you who knows that this is the truth. Jesus is who he says he is. He is good. He doesn't care if our, lesses are, if our yeses to him are grumbly or small or temporary. He is real. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of person I want to listen to when they talk about the scripture. This is real stuff. Now I'm going to cut a bunch of stuff out, so here we go. Come, Holy Spirit. As we lean into the prayer that Jesus gave us, the way that he said, pray like this, This is what I wrote this week. I am so full of faith that the Lord will move powerfully in our church. And now I am so full of faith that if we pray this as individuals all together, that it will impact the Delaware Valley. It will impact families and communities and connect by night shelter. I hope you're going to try Leap of Faith. The steps are in the bulletin or at the website. We do this as we get ready to to celebrate 
for 40 days to celebrate what Jesus did by beating death for good on the cross. So one of the things we've been doing as a family is praying the Lord's Prayer at dinner. It's just a simple way to say, why don't we do something together? You know, the kids and the youth, they're also engaging with Leap of Faith. And it started some decent conversations. One of the things we talked about is when I was a kid and I, and I learned this prayer, Our Father Who Art in Heaven is the way that we said it, the way I thought about it is, was like God's address. You know, God who art in heaven, Santa at the North Pole, Nana and Bapa in Detroit. I learned to pray the Lord's Prayer as a child. Maybe you did too. Or maybe you're learning it for the first time right now. This is what I know. As I've prayed it over the years, before I even knew what the words meant, it formed me. I know that it shaped my understanding of who God is, of what he's like. This week at a a small group that I lead with some other fabulous people, Vito and Brad, I invited um, the group to try this little exercise. We invited the Holy Spirit to speak to us directly as we pray the Lord's Prayer together. Then we sat in silence. We shared with each other what the Lord highlighted. And, you know, the Lord can speak to more than one person at a time. (laughs) He highlighted different things to different people because he always has a will to bring healing and hope to many people, not just one. So this is the verse that stood out to me on Tuesday night. Deliver us from evil. As we sat in silence together in group, I remembered when I was in college and I was pretty deep into believing that God wasn't real. If you had met me or asked me out on a date, very quickly I would have told you that. I I would have told you I was an atheist. And at the same time, most nights, I was praying the Lord's Prayer especially if I was afraid or worried or lonely. As the Holy Spirit drew my attention to this memory in small group, I had a new thought. It went something like this. I wonder if praying deliver us from evil actually worked. I think maybe. Well, I actually think absolutely it worked. God protected me from evil. He answered this prayer that had been planted in me. He protected me from evil and patiently, so patiently, drew me back to himself. Praying the Lord's Prayer made a difference in my life. It made a difference in Upper Darby today, and I certainly have faith that it will make a difference in all of our lives if we speak it to the Lord. As we pray the way Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, I want to invite you to consider something important, that scripture is alive. When we read it, pray it, meditate on it, it's going to form us. Studying scripture is good for information. We should do that. But it is not necessarily the same thing as engaging with scripture to be formed by it. Mark said last week in his sermon that his hope wasn't that we would go from here with one more thing to add to a long or a short or a medium list of things that we know about God. 
He said, rather, the hope is, is that we would go from here equipped, more deeply equipped to meet our Father in prayer, to know who he is, and to be known by him. That is what we're focusing on in, leaping, uh, in Leap of Faith. We are asking together, come, Holy Spirit, establish and deeply root our faith in alignment with this prayer that you taught us. Do you want to pray it with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So assuming there's more to understand here than God's address, we're going to look a little closer. Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father. That's not the same as my Father. Our Father implies that we're doing it together. Jesus teaches us to seek our Father in community. For many of us, this might not come naturally to pray with other people. Many of our instincts lead us to pray by rattling off a list of concerns to God, something like, Dear God, here are the things I'm currently seriously panicked over, or, or here are my deepest felt needs. Can you fix it? It might not ever occur to us to pray in community. You know, because then we'd be sharing these concerns with other human beings. But Jesus tells us to do that. He says, pray our Father. Pray alongside others. Pray in agreement with others. Pray in community. Our Father. This is the heart of God for us and his kingdom. Our faith is to be placed in community. Hey, folks, we are not designed to express this faith, faith in isolation. Our instincts toward isolation, if you're like me, they ebb and flow and they never fully go away. <laughs> Often they're a response to some kind of conflict. You know, it can seem easier to follow God if we don't complicate it by trying to do it with other people. Then we wouldn't have to consider these verses, you know, the ones that talk about asking for forgiveness from your brother before you share the communion bread, or, or carrying one another's burdens, or here's a good one, taking the plank out of your own eye before you focus on the speck in your sister's. When we express our faith in isolation, we fall short of even figuring out what these mean or how to respond to them. This is not what Jesus is teaching us to do. We are given to each other on purpose. The church was God's idea. Our Father teaches us to pray with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So this family we are to pray with, he has a father, and he is a good father. Jesus chose his words carefully, I think. We are to pray our father. He, he could have said, pray our creator, or pray the one true living God. But he told us to pray our father. 
fathers have children, right? God, our Father, has children. We are his children. We are beloved sons and daughters, no longer strangers, no longer slaves. We are heirs in his kingdom because he wants it that way. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about how we come, become part of this family of God. This is what he says. For those of you who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership. By him we cry, Abba, Father. Now get this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. If you read that and you still don't feel it, ask the Spirit to testify to you that you are a son and a daughter of the King of Kings. He asks you to pray to him, to say, Abba. Abba is not the title for my male parent. It's, it's an intimate word. Abba, daddy, pop, pop, we might say here in Delco. Where I'm from, we say dad. <laughs> I'm sure for some of us that praying to Abba, this kind of praying, maybe it feels weird or threatening or frightening. I have a little story that our family likes to tell, and Phil and I agreed it would be okay to tell it, and it's surprisingly not about Phil this time. So <laughs> this, this is the story. It's about the day we got married, and uh, we asked his mother-in-law to read a scripture. So there we are, looking all beautiful, and I, she's over here on the side, and she's reading the scripture, and I'm thinking, what is going on? Something's not right. <laughs> is she having a stroke? <laughs> She was changing the words. Every reference to Father God or to He, she changed um, to Mother God, to she and her. <laughs> now, I was too beautiful and too happy to be angry at that moment. <laughs> and, and we have told the story and gotten some decent laughs out of it, which is maybe not the best way to deal with something bizarre. And, you know, as I've gotten to know her, you know, she's no longer living, and I really do want to say this um, with honor, but it makes sense to me. I know some of her story, the backstory. She had a history with her father and with the Mormon church that made it really, really hard for her to understand that God, the Father, was good. Maybe for some of us, like my mother-in-law, it doesn't quite sit right to you to draw close to Father God. Maybe it's hard for you to see yourself as beloved. Often this can be because our dads or parents or leaders in the church have let us down. Maybe these, these experiences have led us to be in fear and just never really pray to Father God. We prefer Jesus, the Holy Spirit. But I think this is something pretty important to pay attention to. And we can ask the Holy Spirit to heal us where we've been hurt. We can share this with a trusted friend in small group or talk to one of the pastors. I'm not sure that my mother-in-law solution, just to you know, change God to a concept as if he was gendered and it was only female, it might not be the way to go. 
But for some of us, you may have not just experienced disappointment, but actual trauma from a parent or a father or a leader in the church. And you would do well to pursue all forms of healing. Sharing this burden with friends, receiving prayer over and over as much as you need, and seeking out professional counseling. All of this is a good idea. Trauma affects our brains. Research is showing this more and more that it changes the neural pathways in our brains. Trauma changes us physically, and we need to acknowledge that. And we are people of the kingdom. I have a little secret to tell you on the video here. When we're down at Upper Darby, there's a man that's there almost every time, and he's an amputee, and he's in a wheelchair. And he has not yet wanted us to pray for him. But I'm praying something pretty radical. I'm praying that his leg would grow. (laughs) Trauma doesn't have to be the dead end for us. Maybe it's just more specific information for our prayers. I think we can pray for our brains to be healed, for those neural pathways to be reset. God is a good father, and he wants to give us everything we need. If you struggle in this area, maybe your big prayer during Leap of Faith will be about this. Maybe you want to pray something like, Father God, help me. I want to feel safe and loved when I speak to you. Take away my fear and my disappointment about my earthly parent. Help me to know that you are good. I want to trust you. Recently, I heard a great sermon by Charles Montgomery Jr., who is a vineyard pastor in Columbus, Ohio. This is the kind of sermon that, for me, I feel it inside of my body. It's like in my gut. When I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to the very deepest parts of me, it's the kind of sermon that I know I'm being healed in its hearing. I want to share you something, one of the points that Charles made. He was teaching on persevering in what the Lord has called us to. He laid out the many ways that we can shrink from the dreams that the Lord has spoken directly to us. The ways that we can cooperate with the enemy's plans to keep us on the edge of the Jordan, just on the other side of the promised land. He said that one of the ways we shrink is to tell ourselves that the people around us must certainly think that we are less than in some way. We're too broken, too old, too young, too poor, too something to walk forward into the dream that God has given us. Charles exhorted us to turn away from these lies, to stop these narratives that we rehearse. Because you know what happens? They start to become who we are. And this is what I want you to No, this is why I'm telling you about his sermon. This is what he said we can believe instead. You are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. We are children of the Father. We are children of a good Father who is in heaven. So, 
when you think of heaven, what comes to mind? Is it all future-oriented? Is it up in the sky somehow? When Libby, our daughter, was a kid, she would like to climb up on the couch where the window is and like scream, God, can you hear me? <laughs> somehow she thought he was in the sky. <sighs> I don't know that that's great theology about heaven. But earlier in Matthew, in chapter 4, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He preached, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven here and now in his coming as Messiah, in his breaking through into history. He declares that the kingdom of heaven has come and he demonstrates it by healing the sick, the blind, the dead, by casting out demons and caring for the outcast, the oppressed, the alien, the refugee, the forgotten. This is what heaven is like. It's where the kingdom comes, where everything is made new and right and just. Heaven is like where God's rule and reign gets complete control forever. Jesus says that we should pray to a father who is in heaven. When we're praying with our eyes forward to the promise of the coming king, to heaven fully realized in Jesus' coming again, that he will make everything new, we're doing something. When we pray our Father in heaven, we are praying into that future promise, the one we read about in the book of Revelation. You know where it says we will be worshiping for eternity, freed from suffering, free from hatred, free from disease, where limbs will be regrown, where we will worship our Father. He will be our Father, and we will be his people. We will worship him with all of the nations. When we pray our Father who is in heaven, we are praying that into our lives now. Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed is pointing to God's holiness. It's a word for holiness. God is holy. He's set apart. He's sacred. And the name of the Father is holy, hallowed, worthy of praise and worship. God's holiness, I think it's much too little play in our, in our sermons, in our small groups, in our lives. I've never seen it on a coffee cup or a t-shirt that does not change the fact that God is holy. He always has been and he always will be. God is holy. His name is hallowed. When I think of God's holiness, I like to think of Moses. Like when God is talking to Moses at the burning bush and he tells him, take off your sandals, which is always fun to talk about in children's church. He tells him to do that because he's standing on hallowed, holy ground. Because God is very, very close. And his sandals are pretty gross. Or in Moses' story in Exodus 33, when Moses is talking with God, he's struggling with him over the call that has been given to him to lead his people all the way to the promised land. Let's look at it. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, 
but you have not let me know who you will send with me. You have said I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replies, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses says to him, as, as if he didn't hear the Lord just saying, my presence will go with you, he, he's making the case that, the, that he really wants his presence to go with him, right? He needs it so much, he wants to make sure he heard correctly. Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. He knows his limitations, and this is not going to work unless the Holy Spirit is in charge in front of them, around them, and behind them. Moses wants to make really certain that he will not be alone. So he repeats it. And then he says this totally bizarre thing. It's as if he's getting more and more confidence. Moses says in command form, Do you notice there's no question mark? Now show me your glory. Do you pray like that? (laughs) I don't say commands to God. Lots of people in my life, but not to God. (laughs) Moses says, now show me your glory. And the Lord says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, he said, you know, here's the little loophole. You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Now, if you're as old as I am, when you're starting to hear this, you're starting to hear that old hymn. Rock of ages, clap for me. Let me hide myself in thee. The Lord says, there is a place near me where you may stand. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. My face must not be seen. The Lord agrees to Moses' command request. He's going to show him his glory with a little, you know, safety plan. Because <laughs> he cannot look on a holy, righteous God and live. What does this teach us about God's holiness? Are we supposed to think about this when we pray this prayer during Lent? Moses speaks directly to God. He, you know, he goes into the tent of meeting. God's presence comes close. They talk to each other. Moses and God are tight. But he still needs to be protected from the glory of the Lord because God is holy and we are not. God is holy and we are not. But this is the really good news. God is not unmoved by this dilemma. This is pointing to Jesus' coming and how not unmoved, double negative, God is by this dilemma. He will not let this stand. He does not want anything between us and his glory. He, so he solves it for Moses. He says, go in this special place. But he's not done. Can you see the contrast between how Moses could be close to God 
with a hiding place. And Jesus' invitation to pray, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We don't need to hide when we say those words. And when we say those words, they are coming out of unholy lips. Earlier in Matthew, Jesus teaches us. Remember Mark talked about this? He says, go into your room and draw very, very close to God. This is not scary. He says that God is ready and waiting to answer us, to provide for us, to carry our worries. The Spirit testifies that we are beloved children. If you want to, you can call him Abba. And he is entirely responsive. He can respond to all of us at the same time. It's not like my house where the loud one gets the attention most of the time. Most of us, most of us know the answer to this question. Why do we have so much freedom now to draw close to God? You know, if I asked the kids downstairs, they would probably know the answer. Because, you know, the joke is most answers to Sunday school questions is... Why do we have so much freedom to be close to a holy God now? Jesus is the difference. He is way better than a hiding place in the rock. We don't need that anymore to be close to God's presence Jesus is the difference between being able to speak intimately and freely, to ask for our daily bread, to pray your kingdom come in Upper Darby, in our families, in this country, your will be done. Jesus is the reason we can pray that, and it means something. It does something. It transforms communities. Jesus is the reason that we can leap deeply with no limit, listen to this, deeply with no limit to exchange our sins for his perfect forgiveness. Jesus will do that for us forever until he comes again. There's no amount of brokenness or unbelief or desire to isolate that will ever change his answer. Abba, Father, has exchanged death for life. Jesus is the voice that whispers to us, you are who God says you are. You are who God says you are. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. Jesus, spotless lamb, anointed one, he came to preach good news to the poor to set us free. Jesus is the doorway open to us. It's a wide, open door to make all of our requests known to a holy, heavenly, good, good Abba Father. One of my favorite images to remind me that this is the truth is what happened when Jesus was crucified. I want to read it to you. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I just want you to listen. And I want you to listen to what happens in the temple. There's a curtain in the temple. 
behind which the Holy of Holies is, God's presence. And once a year, the priest can go behind it and make sacrifices for the sins. And it's a, it's a dangerous place. It's not full of safety. There's a risk in the high priest going there. So listen to what happened. It was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. It sounds like evidence that something was going on. <laughs> the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last breath. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this is a righteous man. In all four accounts in the Gospels, the picture is clear. Jesus' death is met with a supernatural response. There's an earthquake. I love it. It's evidence. There's darkness in the middle of the day. The, stun, the sun stops shining. Tombs are broken open. And resurrected bodies walk out of them. This is not an ordinary death of a criminal at the hands of the Romans. The evidence of who this was and what his dying produced is all around. And this is my favorite part. The temple curtain. It says it all to me. It's really all I wanted, all I need to know. The temple curtain in Jerusalem was torn in two. This curtain behind which only the high priest could go to rectify our sins. This curtain that kept the people separate from the Holy of Holies, God's presence, his beautiful, powerful glory. It was rendered obsolete forever. The curtain was rendered obsolete forever. This is the difference between Moses' hiding place in the rock, and the wide open invitation to pray like Jesus prayed, directly, intimately to Abba Father, to a responsive Father. He provided a place for Moses, and now, praise Jesus, he has provided a permanent place of shelter for us now. In the person of Jesus Christ, it is finished. The temple curtain, <laughs> it's wide open. Jesus, it says in Hebrews, is our high priest. Not once a year, forever and ever. Jesus is our high priest. He's inviting you to approach his throne, the throne of God, today, tomorrow, and forever. You can crawl right up on Abba's father, Abba Father's lap and be released and free to say, you are good. You are good. Our Father, you are good. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you stand with me? just going to lead you to pray uh, with me, um, and we are going to have ministry time with a little something in between. So.